0: Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Catechism in a Year podcast, where we encounter God's plan of sheer goodness for us, revealed in scripture, and passed down through the tradition of the Catholic faith. The Catechism in a Year is brought to you by Ascension. In 365 days, we'll read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church, discovering our identity in God's family as we journey together toward our heavenly home. This is day 78. Congratulations, you guys are reading paragraph 547 to 553. As always, I'm using the Ascension edition of the Catechism, which includes the foundations of faith approach, but you can follow along with any recent version of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Also, you can get your own free Catechism and your reading plan by visiting AscensionPress.com C-I-Y. And also, you can click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. Today is, as I said, day 78. We're reading paragraphs 547 to 553. We're talking about the keys of the kingdom. As you know, even following along, you were here at day 77 yesterday. We are talking about the mysteries, right? The mysteries of Christ's life. All of Christ's life is a mystery, Like meaning it reveals the depths of God's heart. Of course, we talked about the Christmas mystery. We talked about the mystery of Jesus' infancy, his hidden life. We talked about the baptism of Jesus and the, his temptations. We also talked about the kingdom of God. That was yesterday. How Jesus came to establish the kingdom, right? The fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham so many years ago. And here is Jesus saying the kingdom is at hand, which is incredible amazing now today Jesus is going to be talking about the signs of the kingdom so we recognized yesterday we talked about everyone is called to enter the kingdom that yes salvation is from the Jews and then it goes to the Gentiles right It goes to the whole world everyone is called to enter the kingdom the kingdom belongs to the poor and the lowly yesterday we talked about how Jesus invites sinners to the table that yes he, he calls everyone no matter how broken we are but he also calls us to repent calls us to change calls us to belong to him we have to die in order to live today there are the signs of the kingdom of God, which means that it wasn't just that Jesus came along and said, oh, by the way, the kingdom of God is at hand for you. And everyone just followed along. He had to demonstrate that he was the Messiah, that he is the Messiah with many mighty works and wonders and signs, which manifest the fact that the kingdom is present in him and attest that he is the promised Messiah. So this is important. We're gonna talk about how that's one of the things, one of the many things that Jesus' miracles, his signs and wonders pointed to. They pointed to the fact that, yes, the kingdom of God is at hand, that he truly is the, the anointed one, the king of the eternal kingdom. So that's what it points to. Of course, you know, we sometimes think of the signs and wonders and we say, I want more, Lord. I want, um, how about if you can heal the sick, how about you heal all the sick? If you can raise the dead, how about you raise all of the dead? And yet, that wasn't why Christ came. The reason, you know, well, the reasons I can name here, the reasons the catechism names that he healed the sick and and uh, cast out demons was because he was establishing the kingdom and he was demonstrating through signs and wonders that that is what he was about. That there was a greater slavery that he wanted to set us free from. There was a greater death that he wanted to bring us back to life from. And that was the slavery of sin. That was the, the uh, death of a eternal death. And so these are signs and wonders that point to the fact that here he is establishing a kingdom. Now, we're also gonna talk about the fact that Jesus hands over the keys of the kingdom. That in paragraph 551 and 552 and 553, that Jesus chooses certain men, 12 of them in number, to recapitulate or reconstitute the people of Israel. And among those 12, there is one person, Simon Peter, who holds the first place in the college of the 12. And Jesus entrusted a unique mission to Peter. Now we're going to talk about that more as, as days go on. But today we have this beginning of, you know, Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asks the question, who do people say the son of man is? And they say, well, you know, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, John, the Baptist come back from the dead. And he asks them in Matthew chapter 16, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the father reveals this to him, says, you are the Christ, the Holy One of God. And Jesus says to him, in flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, my heavenly father has. Therefore I say to you, you are rock, right? You are Peter, Kepha, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now it goes on to say in paragraph 553, based off Matthew chapter 16, that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he gives a unique and specific authority to Peter. We're gonna talk about that today. So as we as we note, Jesus is establishing the kingdom and pointing to himself as the Messiah through signs and wonders. And also, he setting up a structure to the kingdom because he is making Peter the prime minister. He's making Peter the Al-Haba'it. He's make, giving Peter a unique authority. That's what we're talking about today in paragraphs 547 to 553. Before we jump into this, let us pray to the Lord to just, that he's with us, You know, as, as that as we're learning, we're learning not just information, but we're allowing the Lord by the power of his Holy Spirit transform our hearts, not just our minds. Father in heaven, we know you are with us. We know that you love us. We know that we can trust in you. We have confidence in you. We know that Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, that he demonstrated not only his messianic power, his messianic identity through his signs and wonders, he also demonstrated his great care for us. He also demonstrated his great love for us through these miracles, through these signs and wonders, through these exorcisms, Because he wants everything that is dead in us to come to life. All those things that are good in us to be made whole. All those things that are are holding us back and are keeping us from you, Father. He wants those things to be shed, to, to be gotten rid of. That we be delivered from the power of the enemy and brought into your kingdom, into your family even more fully than we are right now. Lord, whatever things attach to us, whatever things are clinging to us, whatever things we're clinging to right now that are holding us back from living freely in your kingdom, we ask you, please help us to let them go. Help us by removing them from our lives according to your will, according to your will in all things, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As I said, it is day 78. We're reading paragraphs 547 to 553. The signs of the kingdom of God. Jesus accompanies his words with many mighty works and wonders and signs, which manifest that the kingdom is present in him and attest that he was the promised Messiah. The signs worked by Jesus attest that the Father has sent him. They invite belief in him. To those who turn to him in faith, he grants what they ask. So, miracles strengthen faith in the one who does his Father's works. They bear witness that he is the Son of God. But, His miracles can also be occasions for offense. They are not intended to satisfy people's curiosity or desire for magic. Despite his evident miracles, some people reject Jesus. He is even accused of acting by the power of demons. By freeing some individuals from earthly evils of hunger, injustice, illness, and death, Jesus performed messianic signs. Nevertheless, he did not come to abolish all evils here below, but to free men from the gravest slavery, sin which thwarts them in their vocation as God's sons and causes all forms of human bondage. The coming of God's kingdom means the defeat of Satan's. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, Christ said, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus' exorcisms free some individuals from the domination of demons They anticipate Jesus' great victory over the ruler of this world. The kingdom of God will be definitively established through Christ's cross. As we pray during Holy Week in evening prayer, God reigned from the wood. The Keys of the Kingdom From the beginning of his public life, Jesus chose certain men, twelve in number, to be with him and to participate in his mission. He gave the twelve a share in his authority and sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. They remain associated forever with Christ's kingdom, for through them he directs the church, As my Father appointed a kingdom for me, so do I appoint for you, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon Peter holds the first place in the College of the Twelve. Jesus entrusted a unique mission to him. Through a revelation from the Father, Peter had confessed, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our Lord then declared to him, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Christ, the living stone, thus assures his church built on Peter of victory over the powers of death. Because of the faith he confessed, Peter will remain the unshakable rock of the church. His mission will be to keep this faith from every lapse and to strengthen his brothers in it. Jesus entrusted a specific authority to Peter saying, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The power of the keys designates authority to govern the house of God, which is the church. Jesus, the good shepherd, confirmed this mandate after his resurrection when he told Peter, feed my sheep. The power to bind and loose connotes the authority to absolve sins, to pronounce doctrinal judgments, and to make disciplinary decisions in the church. Jesus entrusted this authority to the church through the ministry of the apostles, and in particular, through the ministry of Peter, the only one to whom he specifically entrusted the keys of the kingdom. Okay, so there we have it today, paragraphs 547 to 553, incredible. I love, okay, two parts of this. One part being the signs, the messianic signs, right? The messianic signs of Jesus Christ. Now remember, John the Baptist at one point, he said, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one we're waiting for? Or should we look for another? And Jesus says, go tell John this. You know, the blind regain their sight, the deaf hear. That basically, I'm doing the works of the one who was promised. And here we have in paragraph 547, Jesus accompanies his words. He doesn't just speak, right? He accompanies his words with many mighty works and wonders and signs, which manifest that the kingdom is present in him and attest that he was the promised Messiah. One of the things we recognize is, you know, it's one thing for someone to come along and say, I have insight into God. I have, you know, to be able to say, I have a revelation from God. But Jesus not only says these powerful new words, right? Remember scripture says that he taught with authority, not like the scribes, but he also Backs up those new words, these new teachings. Remember, remember how in uh, the Sermon on the Mount and on the Sermon in the Plain that Jesus says, "You have heard it said, such and such. Like you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth." But then He says, "But I say to you, you know, forgive your enemies. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look on a person lustfully, you've committed adultery, right?" So Jesus is giving this new teaching with authority. But he's backing up that authority by these signs and wonders, which point to the fact that he's not merely another rabbi. In fact, his signs and wonders not only point that he is the Messiah, right, that he is ushering in the new kingdom, but also he is also not only the Messiah, he's also God himself claiming to be God and then demonstrating the very power of God. That's what these miracles are also, doing so goes on to say, paragraph 548 the signs worked by Jesus attest that the Father has sent him. And this is really important. The next line says, They invite belief in him. The signs are meant to invite us to this place of saying yes. This is this place of saying, Okay, you're not just another prophet, you're not just another rabbi, you're not just another person. that I'm called to believe in you. I'm called to put my faith in you. I'm called to entrust myself to you. And it goes on to say, to those who turned him in faith, he grants what they ask. So miracles strengthen the faith. But his miracles can also be occasions for offense. It's remarkable, right? How many times have you ever ever read the Gospels and here's Jesus doing a miracle and people are upset about this? Maybe it was because it was done on the Sabbath or something along those lines. But you think like, wait a second, if a miracle happened, you'd think everybody in the area would just be going bananas. Like, this is amazing. This is the most incredible thing. Some of Christ's miracles invite faith. Those same miracles can invite antagonism, right? So in, if you go to John chapter 11, in the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, after Lazarus is raised for the dead, it says many of the Jews, because of this, came to believe in him. But a couple lines later, it says, but from that moment on, others plotted to kill him. And this is one of those incredible things that happens is that here is Jesus demonstrating that he is who he says he is. But also at the same time, that demonstration, while it invites belief in some, others respond to it with the desire to destroy him, which is remarkable. It says again, paragraph 548, his miracles can also be occasions for offense, I love this next line. They're not intended to satisfy people's curiosity or desire for magic. You remember when Jesus went before Herod and Herod wanted to see, he wanted to see Jesus. And we imagine he wanted to see Jesus because he wanted to see some miracles. But Jesus not only did not do any miracles in Herod's presence, he didn't even speak in Herod's presence. And so you recognize, yeah, he just was curious. Remember Herod, the one who killed, beheaded John the Baptist. He was merely curious. Even with John the Baptist, he uh, was perplexed by him, but he liked to hear him preach. Merely curious. And this is one of those things for all, all of us to recognize that am I merely curious about Jesus? Am I merely interested in learning more about him? Because that's that's one thing, and it, it's, it's maybe a start. But we recognize that Christ did not come to this earth, did not preach and do miracles. He did not suffer and die and rise from the dead, ascend to heaven, give us the Holy Spirit, so that our curiosity could be sated. But he came so we could believe in him, so we could trust in him. I love this paragraph 549. By freeing some individuals from earthly evils of hunger, injustice, illness, and death, he performed messianic signs, but he did not come to abolish all evils here below. And, and you know, that, that's a mystery. Isn't that just an incredible mystery for us? But if we realize that there are more serious things than suffering, there's more painful things than physical death, we realized that jesus came to save us from eternal death he came to save save us from the slavery of sin so that we can actually live as god's sons and daughters in the power of the holy spirit and of course jesus's exorcisms highlight the fact that there is a battle going on that there that we're born into the dominion of darkness and jesus has transferred us into a kingdom of light in our baptism and so that that him setting us free highlights not only the fact that thank you thank you lord for doing this but also highlights the fact that there's an enemy that Jesus he's bound the strong man and at the same time we experience the consequences of the reality of satan the reality of the there being a, a world of darkness that is fighting to steal our souls away from our heavenly father at the same time i love this the last section today 551 to 553 talking about the keys of the kingdom we know that, again, we said this before, Jesus assembles 12 people around him. These 12 men are the 12 apostles. And not only are they a temporary kind of a group of, you know, a band of brothers here on earth back in the first century, but we recognize that as scripture points out in even the book of Revelation, I St. I, John says, I see heaven come down and The the city of heaven, the new heavenly Jerusalem is built on the foundation stones of the 12 apostles. And we recognize that they have a role throughout the entire history of the world, but also among them, Simon Peter has a role. We talked about this already Matthew chapter 16, how he confesses that again, inspired by the, the fathers in the Holy Spirit given to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus gives him a new name. His name was Simon. His name is now Kepha. His name is now Rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And Jesus gives him a particular and unique authority. Yes, the other apostles have authority, definitely do. And their successors, the bishops, have authority, completely, yes. But Jesus entrusted a specific authority to Peter when he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is a throwback to Isaiah chapter 21, where there was the role of the al-habait, right? The one over the house, al, over, ha, the, and Bait or bet house. So the prime minister. There's the king, and the king is the ruler, right? The king is the king. But there's also the steward of the house, or the prime minister of the house. The prime minister of the kingdom was the one who was the al-Habait, and he would have the keys. In Isaiah chapter twenty-one, it talks about uh, Eliakim and Shebna. And one of them was the was the Al Habait who did not do well, and so he was thrust from his office, and another took his place, and he was given the keys to the kingdom of Judah. And what he opens, no one shall shut. And what he shuts, no one shall open. And he had authority. And it it also was the authority of a father, which is remarkable. Go back and read Isaiah 21. And we realize that when Jesus is speaking to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, he is referencing so clearly Isaiah 21. Part of that authority that Jesus gives to Peter as the Al-Habayt, right? As the prime minister is the authority to absolve sins the authority to pronounce doctrinal judgments, like he can say things definitively, to make disciplinary decisions in the church. He can govern the church. He has the authority to do that. And Jesus entrusted this authority to the church through the ministry of the apostles, right? All the apostles and their successors, the bishops, and in particular to the ministry of Peter, who's the only one to whom he specifically entrusted the keys. Now, yes, the other apostles and their successors, the bishops, have authority. Yep, they have authority to govern as well. But Peter has a unique role in the midst of the College of Apostles, in the midst, midst of that fraternity of brothers, it's just like the Holy Father now, the Pope now has a unique role amongst other bishops who are around the world, which is it's incredible. It's incredible to realize that when Jesus established a kingdom, right? he is the king, he's the Messiah, he's the one who brings together, reconstitutes the kingdom, that he also gives it a structure. And part of that structure is he's given us a prime minister. Part of that structure is he's given us these apostles and their successors, the bishops. So the church is not just the invisible church that exists kind of in our dreams or our imagination or or kind of in our in our hearts. But the church not only exists there, it also exists in reality, tangibly, and presently among us today. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that our Lord Jesus not only proved that he is the Messiah, but also gave the keys to Simon Peter and to his successors, the keys of the kingdom that belong to Jesus, (laughs) they're his, they're his keys, they're his kingdom, but he entrusted them to Peter and they've been entrusted to every Pope since Peter all the way down to the Holy Father right now which is an incredible gift. So, I don't know. I want to thank God today. I want to praise God today for the gift of demonstrating that he is who he says he is and to give God the praise and glory for giving us the church. It's just remarkable. It's incredible. Anyways, I'm not only praising God today and thanking him, I'm also praying. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. My name is Father Mike. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. God bless.